Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It's Henry Zamoda and Danny Abdeljabar. What's up, Danny? How are you? Chilling, man, as per usual. I'm really pissed because I cleaned up my computer and I moved the uh, video intro file uh, for our live stream. And when I went to go play the video intro file, it failed. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty stupid for that. <laughs> well, why don't you cry me a river? I might. I might. So... Do you ever get a what what is the weirdest song that you get stuck in your head? Or the weirdest theme? It doesn't have to necessarily be a song. It could be like a theme or something like that. There was like a month long period where I couldn't unhear Baby Shark for some reason. What's Baby that? Sh- What's Baby Shark? You don't want to know. But Google it on your own time. Baby Shark do 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 do. Baby Shark do 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 do. That's yeah. literally like the entire fucking song is like that. So the weirdest song I ever get stuck in my head, and it just pops in randomly all the time. It's not a song. Mm-hmm. It's the theme music from Pokemon Red and Blue, <laughs> the original. Okay, like right when you turn on the game, like that, that yeah, song? Yeah, like do 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 the one that's used in the background in Smash Brothers. Yep. In the arena. Mm-hmm. It just Love it. I'm just it popped in my head today while I was uh, just doing some kind of menial task and I'm like, "Why? Like why does this why does this song haunt me for so many years?" <laughs> this song came out when I this game came out when I was in 5th grade. Wherever it was, I was, it was in, formative. I was young. It was formative. But, but I mean, who would have thought that those uh, those jingles, those video game themes, will just never leave your leave your head. Yo, on the topic um, of jingles, a lot of those are really good. Like Salino and Barnes. You ever hear the Salino and Barnes one? Well, Barnes just died. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, he died in a plane crash. Not, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say non-COVID related. He 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 just died. But like, I I will always till the till the day I die, know the phone number for Salino and Barnes. Injury attorneys. Yeah, now they're doing. Now it's just Salino. Um, and then the best one is is one eight hundred cars for kids. Oh God, no! It's not the best one. It's the worst one. It's the worst one. And it's literally the worst one. The best one ever is six 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 six. The number six to get a cab in like fucking New York. That's not you, even a thing anymore. You only know these jingles if you're in New York. Yeah, these are sorry. all like local commercials, so I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> but six, 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 and the number six. Yeah, um, it, was, uh, it was a satanic jingle. Satanic. And they would play over and over and over again. These three 
one eight hundred cars for kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, Selena on Barnes. Selena <laughs> Barnes would come on about six times each during a Yankee game. Yeah. So they uh they are ingrained in everyone's heads. All right. Um, let's get into today's episode. So, um, we're going to avoid talking election politics. I'm so happy about this. Uh, I know um, you are. Yeah. I'm, I'm just done following it. There's just so, I just don't, I just can't do it anymore. Um, I can't, I just don't have the, I can still follow it, but I don't, I don't feel like talking about it on the podcast anymore. I think people need to take a break from it right now. I yep. think it's the healthiest thing is to just turn off the TV for a month and then see what happens a month later. There's nothing so, you can do anyway. There's yeah. nothing you can do, no matter what side you're on. So to lighten your mood, we're going to talk a little bit about you know, fucking war zones and conflicts in, in the Horn of Africa. Yeah, so we're going to talk about, <laughs> um, I mean, this is honestly a really terrible thing. So yeah. we're going to be talking about Ethiopia today. Um, there really hasn't been too much coverage, except for the New York Times. The New York mm-hmm. Times has actually been doing excellent coverage, and, and they have been doing excellent coverage on the, on Ethiopia for the past, for years now. Mm-hmm. And um, essentially a real nightmare is happening. A war is pretty much breaking out right now between, uh, by, pretty much uh, divided by ethnic lines uh, between the central government along with the north tigray region and um it's it's it looks like things are about to get very very violent there's already been about a thousand casualties a thousand excuse me a thousand dead um and this conflict has been going on for about a week at this point so it's it's really been ramping up and a war in ethiopia and that's that part of the world is going to mean hell uh, not only for Ethiopia, but for all the neighboring countries, uh, war could spill into countries like Sudan and Somalia, and just the Horn of Africa can just end up being really, really, really uh, pounded by this. So, um, can you can you bring us up to speed? Like what what's happening right now? Um, high level stuff. The, the issue with this is that there's actually a media blackout on the ground right now, so not a lot of information is coming up. Right, right. So, so this is actually, it, it's been pretty hard to get like really like on the ground details about this shit. But here's what we got so far. So on the 4th of November, uh, the Ethiopian Prime Minister, Abiy Ahmed, uh, he basically started a military offensive against uh, uh, some forces uh, in the Tigrays, <clears throat> in the region of Tigray, uh, against the political party, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or the TPLF, which we'll refer to it as. Uh, moving forward, uh, and they're basically the the, the governing authority in, in that northern region of Ethiopia, um, and this is coming after months of, of tensions between the TPLF and and the Abiy administration. Um, this latest like military action was was basically started because uh, there was evidently a nighttime assault by the TPLF on a major Ethiopian national defense force base in Tigray. Uh, which resulted in um, the killing of some non-Tigrayan soldiers, um, and apparently they also tried to make off with some uh, with some armaments, some heavy artillery and, and, and other weapons. Uh, so this uh, uh, was like a breaking point for the federal government and for the Prime Minister Abiy, uh, which basically he then declared, you know, full full out like war uh, against um, uh, the the Tigray. 
and he says that uh, that was like the red line they had crossed the last red line and we'll talk about like the events that led up to it and why they were there was so much tension there of course um, but it's been as you said going on for about a week now uh, the military operation is still um, targeting Tigray's uh, military establishments and uh, the TPLF leadership though not its citizens according to the federal government I can't independently verify that um, all I know is that thousands of people have died. A thousand people have died, at least. At least this is the this is the best numbers that we can find so far. Um, but the reason why we can't really know a whole lot just yet is because evidently there is a state of emergency declared on Tigray from the federal government and by the Council of Representatives, which are um, uh, in in Ethiopia, and uh, they've effectively isolated it from the rest of Ethiopia, and they've implemented a a phone blackout and an internet blackout in the entire region. So it's really hard to get like really, really accurate information out of there. Um, but we're following it pretty closely. Any questions? As, as, as closely as we, as we can, which is, which is difficult. Uh, there are reports of people, uh, at this point, I just been hearing things about Amnesty International has been releasing st stuff about there being potential like massacres and atrocities there, mm -hmm. which I'm sure there are. Um, Probably because the reason why this is this is so um, Ethiopia is a unique country. Uh, they're the twelfth largest country in the world, so Ethiopia is the second largest country in Africa. They have a, they have a population of one hundred and ten million people. Right. So this isn't like a small country like Libya with less than ten million people. This is a mate. This is a these this this country has a humongous population compared to the rest of Africa. It's also got a very strong economy and it's a big, big um, like player in African geopolitics as well. The seat of um, the African Union is in Ethiopia and Addis Ababa. Um, and just that whole region is basically propped up by the uh, Ethiopian stability and security forces. And Ethiopia, in a lot of ways, is propped up by the U.S. The mm -hmm. Ethiopia serves as like the U.S. policeman in the Horn of Africa. So mm -hmm. let's just say if we want to invade Somalia, we're not going to go invade Somalia with U.S. troops. We're going to send Ethiopia to do it. Right. Um, but what makes this, I guess the, the genesis of this is that there are between 80 to 90 different ethnic groups within within Ethiopia. Yep, and extremely, the dominant groups, so, yeah, extremely it's, diverse. Yeah. It's very diverse, and the dominant groups are the Oromo, the Amara, the Somali, and the Tigray. The Tigray is the world group up in the north. The mm -hmm. Oromo right now is the group that they're the majority, but they have control over the government right now. The president, the prime minister, right now is 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 Oromo. Um, however, over the past years, for pretty much all of Ethiopia and its modern constitution. They've been ran by the minority coalition, the Tigray, which mm -hmm. is about five, six percent of the population. The TPLF, right. Now, Ethiopia has a long history of state formation dating back to the to the first century B.C. So um, I guess the majority of their history has really been um, mainly ruled by monarchies. Like there's not there hasn't really been a modern nation state, but it, there's been empires and going back to, you know, who knows but super rich history like yeah, their ancient very, history like super super long like they 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 go back to like solomon's time you know like king solomon in the in the bible and the torah like, these guys are old as dirt 
and, and modern history goes. I, I guess you can start modern history uh, just for shits and gigs. Um, if you want to start in 1974, that's when they were taken over by communist military dictatorship. Because Ethiopia never didn't have the same level of colonization as other as let's just say the Sudan did by well, the British actually and the French. Fa- famously they they were the only ones that didn't get totally colonized by some European nation. The Italians took a stab at it for a little while. Mussolini dumped a lot, like half a million troops into uh, Ethiopia to try to take it over and, and came up short. Yeah, um, them and Libya are like the only two countries that not to get colonized. Yep. But um, it, in the in the nineteen seventies, Ethiopia was taken over by a um, a communist military dictatorship, and they held power until the early nineties, until nineteen ninety one. But they were eventually overthrown by the the Ethiopian People Revolutionary Democratic Front, the EPRDF, <laughs> and. The EPRDF consisted of four parties, and these are the dominant parties today. The the Tigray People's Liberation Front, the TPLF, um, the Amara Democratic Party. The Amara are the second largest population and probably the most abused population in Ethiopia, uh, the ADP. The Aroma Democratic Party, the ODP, which is Aromo, which is the uh, current majority in the heads of state, and then the Southern Ethiopian People's Democratic Movement, the SEPDM. Um, what they did, what makes this really interesting, is that they set up a federal government, a federal republic, and the constitution of this new government established was an ethnic federal system that gave different ethnic groups around the country. Um, autonomy from the centralized state. So um, the goal here was to end the suppressive centralized control of the state from the communist regime prior and then um, have a constitution that Mm -hmm. guaranteed rights to develop one's own language and the rights to establish government institution in its own territory and, and the rights to create militias now, most importantly about this, this, this constitution is that it gave territories unconditional rights to succeed from the nation. Which some territories did immediately, specifically which, Eritrea and Somalia. Which some areas did immediately after the formation of the state. Um, the constitution was solidified in 94, I think, like the formal mm-hmm. articles that state that that territories have the right to uh, succeed. Um, and that sounds, I mean, this ethnic federal system, it sounds fair, right? I mean, from like first glance, sure. But, you know, there's always some skeletons in that closet. Well, I mean, the system's a disaster. Like, right. it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess at the time when they were creating this system of government, people are like, oh, look at that. They're finding a way for these um, different ethnic groups to get along and create a unified state without, um, I guess, infringing on their, on their cultural, their cultural uh, origin, heritage, heritage. And, and um, these, whenever you have a federal government involved that's overseeing these regional uh, ethnic 
areas, even if they are autonomous, it's still going to end up being a disaster. The issue really is that Ethiopia's census has more than 90 ethnic groups, but there's only really nine ethnic defined regions within the country. Right. So they're only really official regions for designated majority ethnic groups. Right. And it's not split evenly. It's not like 10 ethnic groups per, you know, group. There's like areas like Tigray, which is majority Tigrayan. But, you know, I forget the specific here. I can, I can pull up the map in a second. Um, but there are like some specific ones like Gambela or the um, uh, Oromia who are just majority one um one uh, ethnic group as opposed to the southern nations nationalities and peoples i gotta show this map because it's crazy hold on uh i'm gonna, I'm gonna pull it up for for you guys who are listening on the podcast just like google it uh just like you know, map of ethiopian regions but uh we're looking at it here uh, this one right here this little little um little bitty one right here southern nations nationalities and peoples region has the highest concentration of unique um highest concentration of unique um nationalities and uh, ethnicities of any of the other ones and this little section right here the sadama was originally a part of it but then just recently got its own recently was promoted to its own thing so like there are like a ton of pe different types of people in this one little section right here uh but this bigger blue section the oromia uh, is is basically for the most part one one peoples so it, it's not like e evenly um, uh, 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 disparate and then up here at the top which is the one in, in question Tigray uh, they've got about I think six percent of the um, of the population Henry can you double check that for me uh, it's about six point three percent if they're they're a minority but they're a powerful minority right because the revolution that overthrew the the military, the military dictatorship. It was like a 16-year war uh, throughout the 80s. Um, that was led by the TPLF. Right. That was they were spearheading that, mm -hmm. and they conquered the Ethiopian state um, in 91, and they established um, the this EPRDF. There's so many acronyms in African politics; it gets really hard to keep track of, um, but they what they did is that they they used this political party to to uh, initiate the reconstruction of this federal state however um the tigray people within their own manifestos um and their own papers they already had a lot of animosity towards other ethnic groups that they were uniting with mm -hmm. specifically the amara like there was a of manifesto written in the 70s that said that um that states that the amara are the number one enemy of the Tigray people for some reason and i don't know african politics well but i do know that for some reason the amara are looked at as like this uh, as a troublesome ethnic group they're persecuted you know they're treated like you know how Ukrainians used to be treated in like the twenties, or Kurds used to be treated. Now, <laughs> now, um, so they're uh, they're persecuted from both the Tigray and the larger majority 
uh, Oromo groups. However, um, the TPLF, the, the question you want to ask is why would the TPLF want to govern the entire state if they have issues with other ethnic groups? And they used, they built up the power of this uh, autonomous state. They um, really to, I guess you could say that they've been accused of establishing establishing this central government in order to uh, take advantage of Ethiopia's natural resources and have the um, control of the Ethiopian military to expand the borders of Tigray. And their end game was to pretty much loot the state, loot the countryside using the power of the central government and then succeed from Ethiopia altogether. That's what they're kind of being accused of. That's what they've been accused of over the past decade. There's, there's, a, there's some merit to those accusations because there are some disputed border territories um, along uh, the TPLF with the Amara uh, and um, separately uh, along the border with uh, Eritrea, who in this conflict currently has not uh, engaged. But, you know, if they're in, they've got their own beef with with the uh, Tigray people. So, you know, it's very possible they can get in at any point. Well, that's what they've that's allegedly that's why they left that succession clause in the constitution in the first place Mm -hmm. is because they wanted they wanted to build up the state and have control over the resources and just be the main state administrators and um and then pull out have the deterrent if if let's just say if there was another group that was uh that was trying to take power from them um, they wanted the deterrent of being able to succeed from that union and causing strife within the country, like causing the country to go into chaos with their succession default. They wanted to hold it by the balls, basically. Yeah, essentially hold it by the balls. Because they've been in power for for a long time. Since since 2018, um, they've been in power. Mm -mm. Not since, I mean, they were in power until until 2018. 2018. Excuse me, I misspoke. Um, They've they've been in power. like 30 years. For, for about about 30 years. Um, they're also being accused of creating a system that would disintegrate Ethiopia into pieces with the intention of creating a Tigray class. So pretty much being the same thing as what the British used to do to their colonies in Africa and really in, in the Middle East. They used to... In India... In India, they used to pit different ethnic groups or different tribes against each other. And also in North America, they used to do the same thing with the Native Americans. Right. They used to put tribes, they pit, pit tribes against each other. So that's what the Tigray are being accused of doing. Another reason is why this sort of government is really dumb is because the resources issues like there's only so many issues there's only so many resources to go around so if you're defining um these autonomous zones by ethnicity then some ethnic 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 groups are going to get the shit under the end of the stick right you know not all areas have access to important resources in africa like water or water or timber or land that you can actually pasture or, and, and or coffee beans. grow crops or coffee beans that's a thing i mean you can't 
I mean, you can distribute land, but then that causes you to um, engage in ethnic cleansing if you're going to put one ethnic group in some land at the expense of another ethnic group. It just causes you to engage in the practice of ethnic cleansing from that land. So looking at this from that context, um, what's your, how are you, how do you feel? Well, I mean, I, I feel like there's, there's some more backstory to unpack too, because like, I think that while, you know, like we're setting this up to say, all right, the Tigray themselves, you know, um, had a hand in, in building, you know, uh, modern Ethiopia as we know it today. Um, if, if I remember correctly, their, um, who's this guy's name? Uh, Meles Zenawi, who is the founding member of the TPLF. He's literally the guy who wrote the Ethiopian constitution in the early days, right? Uh, so as you point out, like they wrote it in their favor, right? They knew that they weren't going to be a majority by population party, but they definitely wanted to give themselves a leg up in the new system. And they held on to power for quite some time, right? Uh, and it's funny, too, with this 30-year thing. It seems like 30 years seems like the, the expiration date of like poor, poorly run systems, right? Right about 30 years, it's like, all right, people have had enough. It's the lifespan of the dictator who put everything together. That's right. usually what it is. Mm-hmm. And then, like, do they have a successor or not? Right. So, And, and the, um, the turmoil around the successor as well, getting a successor, that is. That's how long these governments last, until mm-hmm. the guy dies. And, uh, and honestly, this, has a son. this is what happened. This is exactly what, what went down in, in Ethiopia because, you know, there had been signs of tensions between Tigray and the central government since Abiy came to power two years ago, right? Um, again, keeping in mind that Ethiopia is an extremely diverse system, they kept it together using those four basic, um, you know, uh, four ethnic-based parties. Um, and, you know, TPLF held on to power, you know, with roughly an equal share of power. Uh, but that gave them a leg up against all the others having only a 6% population. It's kind of like how in the Senate, in the U.S. Senate, how the we award two members for every state regardless of its population, right? Um, so, like, Wyoming has just as much power as California, despite the fact that California is like 600 times the population of Wyoming, right? Um, and so... They have a roughly equal say in the government, so they have like a, an outsized you know, power there. And they were in this coalition with Abi and his party for a minute. Uh, and there was this months-long popular revolt that happened uh, in leading up to the election in 2018 where Abi won. And then Abi pretty much quickly took that, that, that mandate that he got from winning the election and taking over from the old guard, the, F, um, the TPLF, and he immediately set out to change the system. He wanted to change that four-party system to a um, to a, uh, a single national prosperity party that was not organized on ethnic lines. And I think this, you know, basically left the TPLF feeling targeted and purged. Right? They were the minority, and they felt victimized by this. Because they felt like they were going to substantially lose their dominance over Ethiopia's political and, and, and economic life, which is absolutely true, right? Um, and so the president of, of the Tigray region charged the prime minister with, with actually like, you know, saying that, oh, you're trying to criminalize the TPLF, 
Like you're specifically targeting the TPLF. But in actuality, it was just uh, um, uh, Tigray was just losing their their political power. You know, uh, Abby came in from a populist movement. You know, to change how the government was set up away from this like ethnic um, federalist group to a more democratic group that's not uh, organized around uh, ethnicity. And they felt triggered by it, to be honest. This is how, this is how they felt about it. And so um, TPLF basically countered by, by breaking away from this new governing coalition. And uh, they are accused of trying to unite some opposition forces within the rest of um, Ethiopia, so in other regions of Ethiopia, to try and you know, undermine Abiy and the uh, and the anti-federalist co- uh, coalition, but that really didn't work out so well. And there's also no hard evidence of this either. This is just what I'm reading, so keep, take that with a grain of salt. But in general, though, I think they've pretty much isolated themselves from this whole political process, um, and basically, you know, Abby's democratic reforms um, it just didn't didn't sit well with with the TPLF, with Tigray. Um, And I think that, you know, this basically undermines their their like stranglehold of power. Right. So like how I'm feeling about it right now is that a a group of 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 old guard, you know, um, minority majority rulership um, is losing their power. And now they're freaking out about it. And now they're doing things that I think are very, very questionable. As an, as an example, they recently held... So they've been putting off um, in elections in, in Ethiopia for quite some time, both regional and, and federal. Um, and there was one scheduled for August 2020 that got um, postponed again. And basically, legislators from Tigray, um, they all protested this. A lot of them actually left... Um, the the upper house uh, and in September the TPLF basically held a sham election in Tigray and they reported you want to take a stab at like what they're they won but you want to take a stab at what percentage they won by ninety uh, percent or something ninety eight percent ninety eight percent there was, so an, was there was an election <laughs> in oh man there was recently there was a couple of elections in Africa I think it may have been in Sudan where the mm-hmm. incumbent Win uh, but ran one by ninety percent, mm-hmm. which is something so ridiculous. But mm-hmm. uh, these countries in Africa are among the most, if not the most, corrupt countries on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, well, obviously, I think it's clear that this was not overseen by uh, international yeah. observers, right? And for for you folks who have been reeling over U.S. politics and and like the election results here, like they had a real sham election where it was obviously clear that the. It wasn't even mail-in ballots. It was just like they they just declared victory with 98%. Um, and in so, Yemen, they had an election with one man on the ballot. Yep, <laughs> that's true. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, so consider yourself lucky. Uh, Hadi had a one, the guy that Hillary, and wait, here's a kicker. So oh, I love this uh, one. Hadi, <laughs> the successor to uh, to the previous ruler, Sali, mm-hmm. he... Um, Salah, excuse me, he became president of Yemen and it was seen as the, a crowning achievement in, in Yemeni's democracy, according to Hillary Clinton. And he was the only man on the ballot. 
the only man on the, the only ballot. guy on the ballot um but back to ethiopia yeah sorry uh so basically um they they won by 98 percent in this september you know elect election quote-unquote if you can call it that and this new like you know these new legislators that they installed um immediately declared that the federal government of ethiopia was not legitimate and uh can't govern the country and they refused to recognize the the federal government right and um you know, I think that the you know, the Ethiopian National Assembly uh, uh, came back and they they basically said your election was bullshit. Um, they annulled it, and they've been butting heads ever since. Um, and I think what they did that was like, you know, the Ethiopian federal government what they did that was particularly heinous in the eyes of the Tigray was that they decided to slash a ton of um, uh, uh, federal funding to to the region they just stopped giving them money with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. You'll hear everything from Comic-Con coverage to the huge Diablo 4 launch. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. Now, they, they kept giving individual municipalities like like cities and, and villages and shit. They st- kept giving them money, uh, especially because we're in COVID-19 and they can't just completely cut everybody off, but they weren't giving the centralized leadership in Tigray any money. And they flipped shit. Tigray, TPLF flipped their shit for this. That, that was not cool for them. They thought it was tantamount to war, right? And and this is this is what, this is how we got here, you know? The question is, is that, um, I mean, don't they have the right to succeed, though? Like, they why do. Why can't they just go forward with succession? That's, and and does... see, that's the real question. That is the real question because they they have within their constitutional rights the ability to secede. And evidently, they've been given a mandate, a 98% mandate by their region to just do whatever the fuck they want. So why don't they? Why don't they just pull out? I personally think it's because it's not in their it's not it's not in their interest to do so, right? They don't have the infrastructure, they don't have the natural resources, they don't have the the geopolitical clout in the region. They don't have able, port access. They don't have port access, right? They would be literally islanded. Uh, and they've got some hostile neighbors, right? They got Eritrea, who they're not friends with, right on their border, who does have port access, who who controls an important waterway. Right, uh, who has been recently getting pretty friendly with the Abi um, uh, uh, um, administration? Um, 
and that's another one of their grievances, right? The 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 Tigray folks were like, you guys are getting too close to um, to Eritrea, uh, and they already seceded, like they left the country. So you're like picking, you know, these losers over us, and we're they're not even a part of our country anymore. You know, like that's how they feel. That's how they feel about this. Like if you put yourselves, you know, in, into their narrative for a moment, but they'd be they'd be landlocked with not friendly neighbors and not all of the resources and not all of the major airports and infrastructure they'd be fucked they know it's better they know it's best for them and it's to stay in there the, what's best for tigray is for them to regain control of power of the federal government and i don't think it's gonna happen it seems like they're um, kind of fucked a little bit because they they can't leave and they they can't stay but they do have a big army because all the- they do because all of the military infrastructure that was built there was built during that border war they had with uh, Eritrea. Mm-hmm. How do Eritre- I pronounce that? Eritrea. Eritrea. Mm-hmm. Eritrea. Mm-hmm. Forgive me for my terrible pronunciation. Um, there, because a lot of that military infrastructure. So I'm assuming um, all of their like anti-aircraft stuff. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of uh, their military bases on that border. Like they're all in in the Tigray territory. So, I mean, they could they could definitely put up a fight to the death if they oh, wanted yeah, to. Oh, yeah, they could if they wanted to. And also, keep they in mind... They have a 250,000-man army. That's, that's yep. nothing to... It's nothing to scoff at. And they also, remember, uh, they spearheaded the military offensive that, that won them, you know, the country in 91, right? Like, they were the, the front. It's the reason why they called them the Liberation Front or People's Liberation... Tigray People's Liberation Front. They're literally the the front line in that war. And the TPLF is is the they're the ones who do all the dirty work. Like they're mm-hmm. the ones who invaded Somalia. Right. And butchered a lot of people. Mm-hmm. What's what's what I'm really worried about with this conflict is um right now we don't really know which too much of what's going on besides like report from Amnesty International. But I'm just worried about a lot of the um, a, a week prior, a lot of ethnic groups have been getting just massacred. Like just mm-hmm. these stories, uh, similar to what you would hear about, like Yazidi villages in Syria or in Iraq during the Syrian civil war. Um, there was this Amara village last week. Women and children, no one, no military personnel. Fifty-seven people were butchered to death. Mm-hmm. It's getting extremely violent, um, and um, it seems certain. It seems like it could it could spiral out of control at any at any minute, uh, especially now that Abby he has uh, he doesn't want to. He has refused to to get come to the negotiating table. He's not talking peace right now. Um, it's his time to kind of put the hammer down as a strong dictator. So, yeah, and and I'm 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 still not like this is all very new to me, and I I actually got very excited learning about like a new um, political system and like a new country because we haven't we haven't really covered um, a lot of Africa in general, but definitely not Ethiopia, and I'm still learning about this, and I still haven't formulated my opinions on on Abby and whether or not you know his you know, intentions for, you know, his, his government and his governing style is something that I agree with or not yet. Um, 
but you know it seems to me that from from the face of it it looks like he's acting um you know from a from a moral high ground here right it sounds like we have a separatist minority group who's losing control uh that's causing trouble that's what it looks like what remains to be seen and what troubles me about this is that there's a media blackout there's a there's a phone blackout so we can't see or hear anything that's going on on the ground i've heard reports of airstrikes and you know how airstrikes go down right you there's a lot of collateral damage that end up you know happening from this you pointed out one such example you know um and so it's it's very easy to go down this slippery slope of you're a populist leader you know in a country that was rife with corruption and you want to put down a you know um a uh uh, a region or a sect of people that are not cooperating with you and it can very easily turn into an ethnic cleansing or a genocide or other human rights abuses that can happen very very quickly and it remains to be seen whether or not he you know abby takes you know this this um this power that he's acquired over the last two years uh through populism and uses it for you know something positive uh, for Ethiopia or you know straight up dictators the shit out of it. That's a big open question. Well, the media is um, portraying him as a bad guy right now. Yeah, a lot That's of the a... media, a lot of the media from the media from uh, Al Jazeera, mm-hmm. um, Associated Press. I saw something on CBS actually. Um, they're all painting him as like, oh, this guy won the Nobel Peace Prize two years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess we gave the Nobel Peace Prize too soon. This guy, this guy's gone effed up right now. Mm. Um, I mean, at, at the end of the day, he's just trying to pre- preserve the monopoly of violence um, on that country. Like he's, they're trying to preserve the nation state. Spoken I think like it's going to get bad, <laughs> and that's what happens. And that's what happens when you have these types of systems of government. When you set up a government, an ethnic federal government, what do you think is going to happen? There's no way that can succeed in the long run. Hmm. Look what happened in Yugoslavia, because that's the major comparison. Like that's right. you're looking at it. If you want to look States, at a conflict yeah. mm-hmm. to um, compare this with, it's the balkanization of Yugoslavia mm-hmm. into countries like Croatia and Serbia and all these small little states. Um, that seems to be in effect and starting to spiral out of control because I don't know if the way that it seems like they're going to have to uh, put down Tigray is um, show a massive display of brute blunt hammer force to bring them back into this union. And it seems like Tigray is not willing to go down without a fight right now because they are used to being on top. You know, 6% of the population has control of the majority of the government. I don't think that they want to uh, remain that um, very not powerful ethnic group because without the federal government, without the government that they uh, presided power over over the past 20-odd years or more than that since 1991, um, they are a very, very small minority group with less than 10% of the population, mm-hmm. uh, both the Aroma and the Amara 
um, are both six times larger than them in numbers wise. Yep. So while but, they have bases and the military capacity to um, resist, I can imagine them doing that. And I can also imagine it getting really, really bloody. I mean, but, but with that in mind, you know, there are people, uh, we don't want like an equally opposite, oppositely bad thing to happen to the Tigray people either, right? Right. Despite the fact that we are... I mean, I don't want anything. I don't, I don't think anyone wants anything, any of this to happen. Right, right. You know, despite the fact that we're probably in agreement that, you know, this minority group, you know, probably held on to power uh, against probably the be- best interests of the country, right? Um, we also don't Lo- want... Looting. Looting. Looting and stealing. I mean, that's basically what right. was going on. Right. That's, that's what they wanted to. That's, you know, that, it's that's clear what, that's what been, they That's been going on. That's what's been going on. And that's what happened. That's what happens in a lot of these countries in Africa. Africa, these people ask why are countries poor in Africa? It's because of corrupt governments. It's because the governments loot the nation, mm-hmm. and they do it. Um, they they they're salesmen basically. A lot of these African dictators, they sell off the natural resources, and they don't make anything in return. So there, there's there's no way climbing out of poverty, and then the international aid system undercuts any type of business to, that they could potentially create because, you know, you don't need to create a shoe factory if there is a international aid service that produces the, the foods. So the political systems and the economic systems there never have a chance to really thrive. And in addition to that, European the Europeans in America mainly Europe, 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 uh, Europe still thinks that Africa is their playground and it, they kind of treat it as it is their, their playground Right. where they in China, China now they, 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 they're, they're they basically they give just predatory IMF loans. Yeah, exactly. They just drew a bunch of lines in the formerly, you know, um, colonized African nations and said, figure it out. Right. Uh, but by figure it out, they mean we're going to pull the strings and you're going to do as we say, and we're going to install people that are friendly to us uh, economically. Right. And rather than directly colonize you, we're just going to quasi colonize you through, you know, um, through predatory loans, as you say, or through, you know, um, uh, uh, taking natural resources at, at rock bottom prices. Um, but I, I guess what I was trying to say, though, is that like while I, I agree that the Tigray people uh, or the TPLF, specifically the government uh, that was installed 30 years ago uh, there, you know, kind of started off with some like really questionable, shady, you know, uh, um, you know reasons. I, I would hate for there to be a situation where Tigray people, not government, uh, that reside elsewhere in Ethiopia are persecuted and, you know, potentially like um, ethnically cleansed. Because there are Tigray people that live elsewhere and they have no connections to TPLF government, you know, um, who are right now at risk because we have a popularized and polarized government um, that is largely supporting Abiy, you know, in this military uh, uh, campaign against uh, like a, a minority region, right? So again, there is a slippery slope here, you know. They they Abiy could turn could turn out to be a very bad person. And a lot of times, these types of situations escalates that uh, that decline from 
I guess even if you consider someone to be uh, a moral populist at one point, this is where when you have the state in your hand and you're able to use it like a hammer, um, usually these are the times that where this is where. I mean, I'm I'm the, feeling some echoes shows. of like early Syrian civil war here. This is this is what it feels like to me. Can you see some parallels there? I don't know. I don't know if I. I don't think I can compare it with the Syrian civil war. Um, I think it's a bit different. There's so many. I, I think Yugoslavia is a better way to compare it with the Syrian civil war. A lot of that stuff was manufactured. You know, a lot of that stuff was manufactured from outside powers. Like. Yeah, there was definitely anti-Assad groups out, but they, first of all, Syria was in a better economic position and the standard of living was better among most Syria, like the average Syrian, like the standard of living was higher. Um, another thing is that um, the rebels were funded by outside powers with the intent to to overthrow the government and create a caliphate type Islamist type government. Um, I think some people, like some groups, wish to balkanize that region in that area, and not just Syria, but Iraq as well, into these smaller enclaves mm -hmm. that were sectarian-ish and ethnically divided, so a Shia and a Sunni and a Kurdish state. I mean, we've already seen maps of that. Um, we were going over that map with Danny Sherson. Remember that? Mm -hmm. um, so, well, I mean, hear me out. The major, hear me out on the major difference is because there's so many different ethnic groups in Ethiopia, and also, I don't know if there's the same interest in the U.S. wanting to cause havoc there. I, I think the U.S. probably sees Ethiopia uh, better off as stable rather than. Sure. As a country that can get sure, out of control. I, I, I agree with that. But I don't think so, I don't necessarily think the outside influence would be coming from the United States. I think it'd be coming from elsewhere. Where um, do you think outside influence would come from? So particularly I think it would be coming from um, Islamist groups in the region. Because, you know, um, Ethiopia is obviously propped up by the West, specifically the US, to be the you know, anchor state in that region. And they're the spring off point um, for literally everything uh, in Africa uh, and specifically the Horn of Africa region. And I'd like to talk a little bit about like the Horn of Africa and some of the geopolitical implications of this because I think it, it, it helps make my case here. Just one thing that I'll point out is that uh, very recently um, some armaments were stopped at the border of, of Sudan uh, heading for the Tigray region, um, and it's unclear where those armaments were coming from, but it's clear that someone is sending them weapons, right? So while today it remains a internal, like, sectarian, you know, divide issue, I think it can boil, it can blow up. It, it is very rife for that situation, and there's a lot of instability in the Horn of Africa in general. We have to keep in mind, again, as you pointed out in the top of this episode, this is a country with a population of 110 million people. It's the second largest country in Africa. It's one of the largest in the world. Uh, and it, has, it shares a border with six African nations, right? All of which have very different styles of government, 
all of which are in very different uh, you know, political situations right now. And there's so much instability and humanitarian issues that are going on in that region right now. I think if this goes on for very much longer, you know, first of all, the big issue is that there's going to be refugees everywhere. Like, there's it, already refugees pouring there's, into the Sudan. There's, there's already so many of them in the in that exactly in Sudan in the um, in the Gedaraf state, which borders Tigray right now. I think there's more than six thousand forces right now, uh, Sudanese forces that are on the border in the Gedaraf state. Um, basically poised to make sure make sure shit doesn't go down um, but so many so many thousands of people are there um, there are truckloads of people going into the Gedaraf state in, in Sudan and what's interesting about this is that you know Sudan and and their uh, leadership is is poised very interestingly here um, in being kind of uh, peacekeepers right because uh, Sudan uh, I think it was like uh, uh, a few a few weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the U.S. basically um, pulled Sudan off the list of U.S. Uh, state-sponsored terrorisms, right? So they're no longer a terrorist state, according to the U.S. And they've been getting a bunch of backing um, from uh, a lot of Gulf Gulf states uh, who approve of them uh, and their actions uh, with uh, Israel, specifically with the warming the warming conditions uh, with Israel. And uh, so basically the, the, the Sudanese like prime minister has, has some like clout now, right? Uh, so he's, he's trying to act as the, the mediator, the moderator between the two parties. But um, the, the, we're talking about a state that was recently like a major terrorist state or a major sponsor of, of state sponsor of terrorism. Not to mention that Somalia has always been rife with issues, has always been crazy see pirates (laughs) that's like the least of the concern right um i think that this this could easily turn into a situation where if this if this keep in mind that tigray forces they're not a small military you said two hundred and fifty thousand people in their army they have plenty of armaments they have plenty of weapons they can fight and if this is a protracted war like right now as an example ethiopia has had to pull its security presence uh, from its neighbors. So as an, as, an, as an example, they tend to be the peacekeepers in the region propped up by the United States. And in, uh, in recent weeks, they've actually been pulling, um, uh, there was like a report by Reuters that said that uh, if they keep redeploying um, uh, their troops away from the border of Somalia, that those areas will be, become more vulnerable uh, to Al Shabaab, which is an Al Qaeda linked insurgency. So Al Qaeda's fucking around over there, you know. And right now, if they're moving all their troops away from that border so that they can fight a war with themselves, what do you think is going to happen then? Well, I, I think the big, what will, um, create a potential like large terrorist threat in Ethiopia or an Islamic insurgency would be if there was a state sponsor, most likely. I don't know. I'm trying to put my Machiavellian hat on. Like, who would have an interest in imploding the country and just causing an absolute chaotic war in the Horn of Africa? 
like this is worst case scenario like who would have that interest in doing that i don't think really any state has that interest in doing something like that the only one i if i'm just like shooting from the hip right here but maybe and i'm putting an absolute machiavellian hat on i don't think i don't necessarily think this is true but i'm just throwing this out here saudi arabia uh, maybe i was thinking well no and i don't think saudi arabia because saudi arabia has some interest in keeping it stable there because they don't want um, the Gulf of Aden to be a dangerous shipping lane, mm-hmm. especially when there is a um, threat of the so uh, then, Strait of Hormuz. So then, the, yeah, the, then it's going to be Iran. Um, maybe it could be Iran. Let's just say, I mean, that's what the U.S. would say. That's what the U.S. would use <laughs> as a pretext. If there was a Shia, any Shia on the shore of uh, the Horn of Africa would be um, immediately condemned as Iran. They would be like, oh, the Houthis are now linking up with forces in, mm-hmm. in uh, Get, yeah, Somalia, right, right across the, the Tigray region. Right. The extent of Iran's proxies are going to cross into Africa. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I just thought about that. Put, and put, your tinfoil, put your tinfoil hat on and, 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 and fucking buckle up for this one. What if... This is a conspiracy, like super clear. I, I, I've not read this anywhere. I have no data for this, but I'm just playing this game. Biden president wants to look tough, says that Iran is fucking around, sends troops in because Ethiopia is our, um, is our, you know, they're our stable state. They're the anchor state. We have to, we have to help them out. Because people are fucking because Al Qaeda, Al Shabaab specifically, is messing around and they're getting money from the Iranians. How about that? Al Shabaab getting money from the Iranians? Yeah. I mean, does that even make sense? Because I, I might be just blending all of my Islamists together. Al Shabaab is not a Shia group; it's a it's a Sunni group. Mm-hmm. So that wouldn't make so sense then. No. It, it most likely, I mean, they'd I have to. It, I mean, I can see the State Department making that stretch because most people most people um, don't get it. <laughs> most people don't even right. understand the nuances, the, the the very high level nuances. But uh, I mean, I don't know. I could think of some things off the head. Hey, maybe Turkey's doing it because Turkey wants to make a refugee crisis that will most likely end up. Uh, having millions of refugees go to Europe and, and have who who knows um, but I guess I, I think most states probably have more of an interest of making sure that Ethiopia doesn't implode especially now that COVID and I'm, I'm super cynical where you know I think that the government is usually involved in most things that are bad mm-hmm. on an international level. Mm-hmm. But I mean, man, I'd have to have somebody convince me of that, like really show me like, okay, this is what I, this is a policy paper to make this f- fucking place go bleed and be destructive. Like mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything like that. Like I, I haven't seen a policy paper. That's like, we need to destabilize the Ethiopia and Somalia and this entire region, so it goes into chaos and war. I mean, I I, there, I just don't there believe were. That, <laughs> I don't believe there that that would be a paper that you would find from like some American think tank, but you might find it um, elsewhere in the world. You 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 could, 
but even before like Iraq, the Iraq war, like, I mean, there's the, there are many papers on destroying Iraq and invading these countries and breaking them up into little small pieces. I haven't seen anything yeah, so like you're, that. You're saying it's, but maybe un- it's unlikely. Maybe someone can direct me to that yeah. type of stuff. So you're saying it's unlikely because there's no, there's so far there hasn't been any like foreshadowing for it yet. Right. Well, you could tell a lot of I, I, that I have seen, like I haven't mm-hmm. seen anything like that. Maybe it, it exists completely. Like I'm kind of a noob when it comes to African politics. So yep, same. I'm speaking out of, um, I'm speaking out of my, uh, out of ignorance and a lot of this stuff but i it's hard for me to like even stretch why another why a state would want a country full of 110 million people to implode just for the sake of imploding like it seems like ethiopia is just a ticking time bomb it's their structure of government the, the fact that they have a system of government where there's a central government that presides over ethnic autonomous zones that has a clause in their constitution that lets states uh, succeed right? succeed from that union, but um, they can't really succeed because that would um, kind of put them on an island from the rest of the co- rest of the continent. So mm-hmm. they're kind of forced into this union by um, the deterrent of being. Um, it's a, a relationship a of convenience, state. basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that they're kind of unstuck in this kind of really lousy system um, for a lot of people or as far as uh, maybe it's it's good for, you know, creating uh, increasing Ethiopia's GDP compared to other African countries. However, I don't think it's good for the... Uh, probably the overall health of the nation to have a system set up like that. Um, and I think that this is more so the consequence of uh, having a, uh, of ethnic federalism and, um, you know, people, d- d- groups fighting for power of the government. Like if you have different ethnic groups and, and they're, and they're pitted against each other for uh, ultimate control of the central government and the central government's able to dish out powers uh, or dish out favors or uh, dish out favoritism to different groups, um, then I think that's all that ultimately will always be a huge issue and will always create the type of civil unrest that could eventually lead to a uh, nationwide conflict. I mean, I, I agree with that. So let's let's take a look maybe at um, at the Prime Minister Abi's ideas about you know unifying into a single you know coalition peace party or whatever he wants to call it, where it's not divided by ethnic um, uh, uh, ethnicity, but rather just by region. How do you how do you how do you feel about that? What do you, do you think that that's like a like an appropriate transition away? Do you think that would work better? What's, what's if they what's created the best, an autonomy? Yeah, the so by ending? region, but not by ethnicity. Yep. Because that's that's apparent, uh, and I'm still learning about this too, right? So I'm, I might be getting this wrong, but from what I understand, Abi's idea is to create a a new type of government that's that's around regions not around ethnicity and that they want to decouple the ethnicity part of of uh you know their their power and politics away from it because ethnicities uh and peoples like the um uh, tplf the, the government of the tplf 
they hold outsized power against you know majority groups like the uh, Omeros, which he is a part of. As as long as the system of government doesn't participate in any type of regional favoritism, because that can happen too, you know, if if a government favors an ethnic group, um, or if they favor a region, you know, it's the same type of thing. Uh, you're you're picking one group other than the other. I mean, that happens in a lot of countries where um, you'll see a central government um, favor urban areas rather than rural areas. And they'll actually incentivize, um, th- they'll tax the farmers to pay for their manufacturing sectors, at, you know, to build up their manufacturing sectors. And that causes a lot of poverty outside in their rural areas. And, and it creates a really, um, a really big kind of class divide, <laughs> the class divide, man. Um, mm-hmm. What's something you learned in history class that you feel wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, what's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I like to call redacted history. I believe that all history, no matter how good or bad, needs to be told. There are wars, massacres, battles, and entire historical events that are just not in our school's history books. Have you ever heard of Mary Bowser? I didn't think so. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told, one episode at a time. So come huddle around the campfire with me and get ready to hear the stories that you were robbed of. And get comfortable. We're going to be here a while. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, so that will, I think that has the opportunity to be really destructive within a state as well. I think the main thing is just limiting the amount of, uh, kind of special grants and special, uh, uh, favoritism, uh, that the central authorities can give because, uh, people are always going to fight for that type of power. I mean, look at, look at the U S man. And now, I mean, we got to go back to the election right now. <laughs> Let's just use our election right. as an example. Mm-hmm. So the United States is, I think, genuinely, most people are very friendly, are very generous people in the U.S. Sure. Most of your neighbors are, you get along with most people that you, you interact with mm-hmm. uh, on a day-to-day basis. Most people are, are pretty kind. Most, if you drop your wallet, most people will return it to you. Um, Americans are generally nice to each other. Would you, would you agree? hundred percent. No matter what your in your politics rarely ever comes up. Mm-hmm. Like I can know someone for a decade, never know their politics. And I imagine a lot of people for most people who are not politically active, um, that's, that's people don't really know people's politics. It used to be in this country where talking about politics, it was like a taboo, right? There's like a Dave Chappelle, there's a really funny Dave Chappelle bit where he's like, um, he's like, white people uh, don't want to ever t- talk about politics, but they'll, they'll always, they'll talk about like other obscene stuff. Mm-hmm. So he'll, he was like, he's like, he's like, Dave, don't bring up politics at the table. And he's like, all right, where was I? So I was fucking my wife in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so... 
when politics was more taboo than talking about anal. That's that was that yeah. was the days. Those were the days. So, but now people are at least for this period of time. Like I guess over the past four years with Donald Trump, people definitely got more engaged in politics. Uh, whether they've become more conservative or more liberal or whatever. Um, right now, uh, it's at an all-time peak because we've had like a four-year... We're basically at the end, the last season of Game of Thrones. And mm-hmm. it, instead of, um, you know, it being season eight being a complete wash, we're at like season eight and it's like, you know, just as compelling and interesting because yeah. there's all this crazy plot twists and all that stuff. And people are... Um, their anxiety levels up because they feel the stakes are so high. To be completely honest, the chances are between Joe Biden and Donald Trump governing in a way that's significantly different from one each other is not really that big. Nope. Like there's going to be policy changes, but overall, their foreign policy will probably be really similar. Just like wrapped up with a different like prob- bow. That's it. <laughs> Bo- both of right. both of their economic policies will be about spending money you know it's like yeah. republicans will be like donald trump was the best republican president ever well donald trump if you're going by the, the, the standards budget deficit that, like four trillion dollars yeah, like yeah yeah if you're going by those standards of what republicans used to stand for like being fiscally responsible mm-hmm. then he spent more money than barack obama uh within in his first four terms so it's I think that's just the general trend is that the U.S. is just going to keep on printing money until and and keep on being fiscally reckless until the printing press breaks, until we just literally can't run out of ink on the dollar. Um, I don't think that's really going to change too much, um, no matter who's president. It's probably um, this is kind of a a side tangent, but a Biden presidency and a a Republican Senate probably mitigates the amount of. uh, money printing and like in government spending just because republicans always kind of find their stones whenever there's a democrat in office mm. and they'll be like oh we can't spend that much but i digress um you were going to talk about ethiopia though what, people like, seem to really all right the point i'm trying to make is that people in the u.s um no one's going to go to your fucking house from the rival political opposition and strip you of your stuff most likely people are going to tax you higher but there's not going to be like some large scale systematic oppression from one group to another in the U.S. Um, I know we're polarized, but that's just not likely to happen. Right. And look at us. Like people are going fucking crazy over politics in the U.S. right now. Now, the reason why people are so divided in the U.S. is because of the stakes, because the, our federal government is so powerful. Um, imagine if the stakes were higher. You know, like the federal government, who was in power in the federal government literally meant your like, like real economic depression. Like, okay, if like my, uh, if someone in my ethnic group becomes president, you know, we'll live a comfortable lifestyle. We'll all be rich. The opposite comes, I'll live in complete poverty and shit. Right. Like if if the stakes were that high, not not um, yeah, and and not even just like the the memes that you see on both sides about how the economy is going to go to shit if the other side wins. I'm not talking. We're not talking about that. We're talking about like the the actual implications, right? Where where like overnight the shift of wealth will happen. Yeah, literally overnight the yeah. shift of wealth. Like literally, not 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 metaphorically, not hyperbolically. Like literally, money will change hands immediately 
if you if there's like a high amount of uh, people from one group who work for the government and they're automatically just fired right like right afterwards mm-hmm. and then replaced by people of the opposite like imagine if you're a bunch of and just take this election for example mm-hmm. of a bunch of Republicans after uh, Biden is inaugurated you have like every single Republican who works for the government fired. Like every single one, and then replaced by a Democrat. Uh, Democrat. Like every mm-hmm. cop, like every Republican cop is fired and replaced by a cop that's a Democrat. Right. But what do you think the cops who were Republicans would do? Right, they would fucking revolt. They would be nuts. They would revolt. That's what happened mm-hmm. in Iraq right. after we disbanded the um, Saddam's army mm-hmm. and we fired them all. We fired all the government workers. They became the leaders of the rebellion. Right. So when the stakes are really high and it's on ethnic lines. Um, I mean, there's a lot of like kind of uh, Machiavellian type po- like politicking, po- like politicking that goes on between like making alliances with this ethnic group and that ethnic group and this ethnic group. But at the end of the day, it's just super, it's just kind of silly. Like civic nationalism is more effective. And I'm saying this as a libertarian, but like civic nationalism is a healthier way to live in a nation rather than ethnic nationalism, which is the worst way, worst way to divide a country is through ethnic nationalism or sectarian nationalism. They're both terrible. Mm-hmm. I think ethnic nationalism is worse because you can't change your yeah, ethnicity. You, you, you can, can choose your, your political party, but you can't choose your like how you were born. You, you could, yeah, you could change your religion, but usually religion is a political term anyway right. because when it's when your ethnicity becomes a political because that's essentially what it is in a country like Ethiopia when like your ethnicity your ethnicity is, is a political mm-hmm. group right well that's why I was talking about like the Tigray uh, people who live outside of the Tigray region can are in like at real risk of being persecuted because of this yeah so the stakes are that high that's mm-hmm. why they're resisting and they're ready they have a 250,000 man army that's ready to fucking fight that's dangerous dude that, like, that's that's, dangerous. that's why it's so dangerous to have a, a system set up like that mm-hmm. because um there's always going to be one ethnic group that is uh going to benefit at the expense of the other there's only so many resources there's there is a um there's only so many resources to go around in a country and um you know Dividing it within ethnic lines is just the people who said it was going to be a disaster in the '90s when they did. They're they're being proven right right now, and I think that's I think the current conflict um, is is the consequence of of that failed system rather than uh, the um, rather than foreign power or someone else trying to uh, wag the tail on a specific group to fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is some crazy shit. I think you know. I, I definitely want to pay attention to this. I think this can this could be hotter um, than you know the Azerbaijani and Armenian conflict that's going on. It, I think it already is yeah. at this point. I mean, it's gonna. I mean, it's certainly at pace right now. There's a ceasefire um, in Navarno uh, in Armenia, Navarno, Karabakh. There's a ceasefire right now that Russia negotiated. At this point, I mean, Vladimir Putin needs to get some type of Nobel Peace Prize. The guy has made more peace deals than 
like anyone I could think of at the top of my head. I won't join um, you on that nomination, but sure. I nominate Vladimir Putin and Dennis Rodman as the two. I'm on board with Rodman. Rod, we can give Rodman one. I think he deserves it. He's fine. As the two, it's the two, the two peace bringers. Yeah, hoops for peace um, all day. How far are we? We're an hour and sixteen minutes into this podcast. Um, do you want to switch real quick to another topic, or do you want to continue this? Up to you, man. Uh, I've I've uh, expended my my uh, note capability on this one anyway. So, so, so Trump is bringing in Douglas McGregor uh, as a Pentagon a senior Pentagon advisor, mm-hmm. um, and it seems to be a sign that they're going to push before he goes, if he goes. Um, let's still if is that's a real fucking if, question. If, <laughs> um, hey, last week, last podcast, you said you thought he was going to stay. I mean, in, uh, court. in court, did you court change reason. your mind? Do you recant? I, I, I haven't decided. Do yet. you recant? I haven't decided. I could be wrong. I mean, I, I hope I'm wrong. To be very honest, do you do you recant? Um, no, I, I so, think in, in, just to close the loop on that, I think increasingly his, you know, his chances of of winning even in the courts are super slim. Like even if he gets. I think in the two major states that he's he's going after Pennsylvania and Arizona, even if he does win and gets a lot of votes from those places, he still loses. So I don't know. So, so interesting enough, it looks like I think this is a, a political move. I, we were discussing mm-hmm. it a little bit on our Patreon, yeah. um, by the way. So Trump is pulling – it looks like he's. He said he wants to pull out of Afghanistan, Afghanistan by Christmas. Um, if he pulls out of Afghanistan and let's say Syria, um, Kamala Harris already said some really cringe thing about supporting C- uh, Syrian opposition forces today. Mm-hmm. Just saying, yeah, we're going to continue the policies that pretty much destroyed the country. Um, if they, if Trump pulls out completely, and that's still a big if, I'm still not sold this is going to happen completely, but I'm, I'm crossing my fingers. He pulls out both of those regions. Um, probably more likely Afghanistan, will they'll, they'll pull out than Syria. I, I still feel like they're going to leave, so they're going to always leave troops in Syria. Mm. But if they pull out and then they go back in, if the Biden administration goes back in, that would be a, a political, I hate to say it, but Donald Trump would probably be like, oh, look, I pull him out and you put him back in. This is the swamp. This is why I came before. This is why I'm coming back in 2024 to come back and take him out. Because the corporate Joe Biden. Right. I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it beyond uh, um, Donald Trump to pull him out literally on January 19th, like la- the last fucking day that he's president. That would be the day that he gives that order. And then. And then, you know, God forbid anything legitimate or illegitimate happens in any of those regions and we need any troops for any reason, positive or not, Donald Trump is going to hammer Biden for for even thinking about putting troops back in. There. Oh, oh, yeah. And then he'll start talking about the military industrial complex. Like, they held my hands all the time. You didn't think about it. I needed to wait till the last day. He... Otherwise, they were going to, you know. I cannot and... wait for him. Yeah. To go on like Joe Rogan, uh, I doubt he'll be on Joe Rogan. I think he's going to start his own thing. He's going to make that Trump TV nonsense. I think that, I think that's what he always wanted anyway. 
I don't think he wanted to. He's I, don't, I don't think he actually wanted to be president. I think he, he just wanted to like fucking be in the spotlight. So do you think everything he's doing right now is just political, uh, like showmanship? No, I mean I think like eventually when he won, he was like, oh shit, now I gotta be president. You know, so this like, plane is pretty fucking cool, huh? It's got to be pretty cool to like, oh look, I, here's Air Force One. Yeah. Like, that's what I've always figured is, like, the major perk of being Hell yeah, president. and he's definitely it's taking like, oh, advantage dude, of Air that. Air Force One. <laughs> Fuck yeah. What was it? like? Everything else seems awful. He's, he spent, like, a shit ton of money on, on flying that damn plane around um, back and forth from Mar-a-Lago just to play golf and shit. Um, I digress. I think, you know, it, he, he was probably fucking around for a while until he got the nomination, and he's like, oh, shit, I can actually probably win this. And then that's when he got serious about it. But like honestly, I think he he prefers just to make money and be shady and you know talk shit like an old man. You know, like I think that's that's where he's happiest when he's just talking shit with no with no repercussions. Well, I think in some way he could be a bigger thorn to the establishment in that capacity outside of like having to do what the establishment wants. Mm-hmm. Um, he could he could as a media figure as as a much larger media figure, unless he's just completely kicked off all platforms, mm-hmm. then, you know. Then. Well, I mean, if you, if you, that's why he would make his own, right? If you assume that 75 million people voted for him, right? If you assume that all of them would be even tacitly interested in anything that Trump has to do after he leaves office, like let's say he makes his own, you know, TV network or some shit like that or whatever, 75 million people. For for like fun fact, there's like 35 million people on Twitter. There's only 35 million people on Twitter. Imagine if he gets half of the people that voted for him to do to like follow him on whatever it is that his next thing is, whether it's like a TV show, whether it's a maybe he makes his own fucking social media. Maybe he boosts Parlor, which by the way is banning people. Free speech, my ass. Um, Dan Bongino. <laughs> Isn't it Dan Bongino created it? <laughs> yeah. Dan, hey, it's Dan Bongino. I'm the conservative Italian guy who used to be from the Secret Service. He was. He offered a bounty. Hey, fuck you. Hey. <laughs> he offered a bounty for Twitter or Facebook um, personalities with more than, um, with more than, I think it was like 12 million or something like that. No. No, more than 50,000 followers on either Facebook or Twitter, if you had that, and you joined Parler, that he would give you, like, some amount of money. It was, like, $12,000 or some shit, like, or $20,000, I forget. He was literally trying to bribe liberals to, to come on the platform. And then I just read a news story recently that said that, like, a bunch of, like, liberals have been joining Parler just to troll uh, conservatives in their sp- in their safe space, and they've been getting banned, and, you know, Evidently, Parler is supposed to be this free speech platform, but if you look at their terms and conditions, it says they can basically censor you whenever the fuck they want for whatever reason or no reason at all, um, just like Twitter and just like all the other ones, which is just amazingly hilarious. Anyway, I'm digressing really hard. If half of the people who voted for Trump decide to follow him and do whatever it is that that he decides he wants to do media-wise, he would immediately have an equal number of users or viewers as Twitter. Just let that sink in for for a second. So maybe they won't ban him. Maybe not. I'll just make my other thing. Trump Twitter. That's what I'll call it. Um, it should be it should be interesting. But uh, so far, 
with the people Biden has been putting uh, who are rumored to be have high cabinet positions. Um, pretty negative right now. Um, we will we will see, but it looks like it's just going to be Obama, more Obama. Well, he he picked his chief of staff from when he was VP to be his chief of staff now. Big surprise. So and they're they're already talking about sanctions in Syria, and uh, it's gonna. We'll see. I don't have high don't have high hopes, but uh, I guess we'll see. We will treat Joe Biden in the same way we treated Donald Trump. Um, that's what I could promise yep. you. Um, which was, I feel fair. I feel mm-hmm. like we treated Trump pretty fair, fairly. To be completely right. honest, we ragged on him when um, he sucked, and we gave him credit when he when he was when he's deserving of it. And we'll that. treat Sleepy Joe fair. Um, all right, let's let's finish this thing up. All right, so thanks guys for. Oh, do we have an episode thing in the mailbag? We do, but you know what? I didn't get a chance to really like do all the research. Owen, I hear you. I I promise next episode we'll talk about it. All right, um, all right, everyone. Thank you so much for for joining us for another episode of Bro History. Um, if you like the show, make sure that you rate and review the podcast on Apple. Um, rating reviewing our podcast on Apple podcast is the number one way to help us grow. Um, it really does mean a lot to see the reviews come in as well. So rate and review the podcast is easy. Just press that five star, uh, thing on your phone. Um, and then if you want to join our Patreon, um, you can join it for just a dollar. Um, you get access to our Slack. So our Slack account is like a, um, it's kind of like a instant messenger thing. What, I think people know people it? know what Slack is. <laughs> I know some people don't know what Slack is. Um, it's so it's a messaging. It's thing a messaging it's platform. It's and fun. We get some heated debates. It gets spicy um, sometimes. Mm-hmm. It gets pretty spicy mm-hmm. on there. So we have a pretty diverse range of people on it. So it's not like an echo chamber. We have like we have uh, liberals. We have uh, libertarians. We have conservatives um, more conservative people and everyone is we got people from all just, over the world it's fun, too. It's fun. It's, yeah. yeah we have people from all over the world so join the patreon um and then is there anything else there's also additional content on there as yep. well so is there anything else i'm forgetting to plug nope some good uh um uh we're having some good guests on in the next few weeks uh, so get yeah. pumped about that we're bringing guests back and yeah uh, stay tuned for future episodes alright let's end this piece Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.